Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. As I thought would be the case, it looks like the Grinch stole the Santa Claus rally. You know, normally the U.S. stock market rallies during the final five trading days of the year between Christmas and New Year's. But today was not only the worst Christmas Eve day in stock market history, it blew apart. The old records. In fact, there has never been a Christmas Eve day where the S&P or the Dow fell by as much as 1%. 1%. Today, the Dow Jones dropped better than 650 points, 2.9% on the day. Although the Dow now is the only major index not to be in an official bear market. It's now down 19.15% from its peak. But the S&P 500, which dropped 2.7% today, is now down just over 20%. So it's now official. Wall Street can stop pretending that it's a correction. They have to admit that it's a bear market. Now, if they want to hang their hat on the Dow, okay, well, they can hang it there maybe for one more trading day because it's not going to take much for the Dow to join the party. Of course, other indexes extending their moves into bear market territory. The Dow Transports down 25.7%. The NASDAQ just under 24% to the downside. Russell 2000 down 27.3%. You know, this index now is down better than 5.5% since Donald Trump was inaugurated. You know, this was the index that was supposed to benefit the most from his economic policies. It's now down 5.5% since he became president. Now, it's still up about 6% since he was elected president. So all that, you know, hype is still in there. But at the rate the index is falling, uh, this index is going to lose those gains pretty rapidly. And then, of course, Trump is not going to be able to talk about all the wealth that has been created in the stock market since he's been elected because all that paper wealth will have been destroyed. But going back to that, the uh, the S&P, remember, I've been talking on this podcast how this was the worst December so far for the S&P since the Great Depression. The only December that was worse than this December was 19. 19- 31, the beginning of the Great Depression. Well, now, as far as the S&P is concerned, this is the worst December, including 1931, because we are now down more 
than we were in 1931. Now, it's not officially the worst yet because there's still four days left in December. So the S&P could rally during those four days, and then it wouldn't be the worst December in history. But there's probably just as good a chance, if not a greater chance, that we're going to go lower over those next four days. Remember, one of those days is a Monday, uh, New Year's Eve, which is a full day. Now, this today, it was a half day. The market closed on the lows. The Dow was down 650 points. It made the low at the closing bell. So if the bell was three hours later, right, if it rang uh, at a normal time, imagine how much bigger today's decline might have been. So, you know, this market is very, very oversold. So, you know, a rally could come at any moment. But to me, again, given how high the market still is, how you know, up there the valuations are and how far down the support levels are, if you want to draw any trend lines, uh, there's still a long way for this thing to go. And there's still a lot of complacency. Look, the VIX, the volatility index, has been moving up. In fact, today we took out the previous peak. This is the highest we've been since November 2011 in in the VIX. Uh, But we still have a ways to go. I don't see panic. I do think people are a little worried about the market now, but they're not worried about the overall economy. They still don't get it. They still haven't connected the dots between the stock market and the economy. You know, that's why gold was only up, what, about 12 bucks today. I mean, it's almost a seven-month high, but 12 bucks is nothing. I mean, gold stocks are up 3%. Okay, that's an okay day. But that's nothing compared to what should be happening to gold and gold stocks and what will be happening to gold and gold stocks when investors actually figure out what's going on here. This is not just a bear market. You know, most people, if I listen to these experts talk about it, okay, it's a bear market. Oh, been there, done that, no big deal. Yes, you know, we've had bear markets before, but hey, it's an opportunity to buy stocks, right? All today on CNBC, all they kept talking about was how David Tepper said he was nibbling on stocks. Like, oh, oh, David Tepper's nibbling. We better buy. In fact, there was a a rally this morning. Uh, The market almost got positive, and, and then it got killed. Right. Any idiot who's buying because he thinks David Tepper is nibbling. And first of all, you know, if Tepper really wanted to buy, why would he tell his competitors that he was buying? He would just shut up and buy. Right. He would want the markets to to go down. So maybe he said he was nibbling because he really wanted to unload. And he was hoping some idiots would, uh, you know, would buy the stocks that that he wanted to sell. But people still think it's a regular bear market. It's not right. First of all, This is not only the longest bull market in U.S. history, but it is the first bull market that was built entirely by the Fed. I mean, I think prior bull markets, the Fed has helped create them, but this has been all about the Fed, with the exception of, you know, the last uh, year or so because of Trump. But even without the Fed, the, the Trump bubble would not have been able to inflate, right? We simply punctuated that bubble with a blow-off speculative mania uh, that just ended it. But the whole thing was built by the Fed. This is the, the mania that the Fed built. And it was built on quantitative easing, which we have never done before, 0% interest rates, which we never had before. And not only was this an economy entirely built by monetary policy or a stock market, but this is probably the first time the entire economy has rested on the foundation of that stock market bubble. 
This was all about the market, about confidence, about the wealth effect. And so when this bull market ends, this phony recovery that was built on that phony foundation comes collapsing down and people don't get that yet. That's why the dollar's not tanking. Yeah, the dollar index was down today, but no big deal. I mean, it was down, it's at 96.48. The dollar is not breaking. Nobody gets it because what they don't get is that it's not just the stock market going down. The economy is going into recession. And if they believed that or if they understood that, then the dollar would be falling. Gold would be soaring because people would get the fact that the Fed is not going to deliver more rate hikes, that it's actually going to take back the hikes it's already delivered, that we're going back to zero, that we're going to do more quantitative easing. The Fed is not going to leave QT on autopilot. It's going to have to take control of the helm and go back to quantitative easing because the economy is going into recession. I don't know how long it's going to take people to figure that out. I mean, clearly, as the stock market continues to grind lower, some people will think about the reverse wealth effect and the psychological effect of, of, of all this. And, and maybe some people might start thinking about the political ramifications of all of this and, and, how it's going, and how it means that Trump is not going to be reelected and, and what that means for future tax policy and regulatory policy. But at some point, people are going to uh, figure this out that it's not just the stock market, it's the economy. And, and when they do, then the dollar really starts to tank and, and, and gold really takes off. But what people, again, still don't know is when the Fed has to rescue the economy and rescue the stock markets with more QE and 0% rates, it's not going to work. Again, not that it worked before. It simply created a big enough bubble and people thought it worked. And then the problem with this bubble is it got so big that, A, anybody that knew the Fed was making a mistake, like me, right, and warned about the mistake, we've all lost all of our credibility, if we had any credibility, and have been completely discredited by the fact that the bubble got so big, right? Oh, Peter Schiff was wrong. He said we'd have inflation. He said the U.S. economy was in trouble. And look, we have the greatest economy ever. We didn't have any inflation. U.S. stock markets at record highs, right? Because I warned early, because I recognized from the beginning what the Fed was doing was wrong and could see beyond the hype, right, over the mountain, into the valley of consequences, right? And I'm shouting from that mountain about these mistakes. And so far, we haven't had to, you know, pay the hyper. Well, I've been discredited, right? So, Anybody like me, and I'm not the only one that knew that the Fed was making a mistake. I mean, you don't even have to be a genius. You just can't be an idiot, right? As long as you have some common sense. The problem is the people on Wall Street, the people that are managing everybody's money, the people who are reporting on Wall Street have no common sense at all. So they have no idea they're in a bubble. And because this bubble has gone on so long and it's so big, right, they have no idea it's popped. When you are in a bubble and don't recognize that you're in a bubble, you never know that the bubble has popped. You don't see any of the signs because you don't even know to look for the signs. And all you do is try to rationalize what's going on and try to minimize the significance. But when the Fed does come back with QE and 0% rates, initially it will be heralded as good news. The people will be thanking saying, finally, thank God, the Fed's coming to the rescue like the cavalry and everything is going to be great. No, 
because the next time it isn't going to work. As soon as they do that, the dollar's decline is going to turn into a route. Gold's rally is going to turn into a rocket ship up. And the economy is not going to recover. It's going to sink. We'll go from recession to stagflation or inflationary recession. And, you know, Donald Trump is going to be the first president since Jimmy Carter to run for re-election in a recession. And, you know, I have been comparing Donald Trump to Jimmy Carter since he was elected. Go back to my podcast. That is the president that I said Donald Trump is going to most resemble. Everybody was like, oh, he's the next Ronald Reagan. I said, no, you run president late. You got to go back to the guy that preceded Reagan, Jimmy Carter. And why did I say that Trump was the next Jimmy Carter or the Republicans version of Jimmy Carter? Because Jimmy Carter was elected as an outsider, as a peanut farmer, and he was elected during bad times. And the bad times were associated with Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, the eight years of the Nixon-Ford administration. Now, Nixon and Ford simply inherited problems created by Johnson and Kennedy and the Great Society and the War on Poverty and Vietnam and, and all that. But instead of basically atoning for those sins and leveling with the public, what Richard Nixon did is he took us off the gold standard and things got worse, not better. We didn't reverse the failed policies of Johnson. We embraced them. And you had the Rockefeller Republicans, left-wing Republicans, and they made a bad situation worse. And so the public turned to Jimmy Carter, right? Not a politician, a peanut farmer, right? Yes, he had been a governor, but he wasn't part of the Washington establishment. He was going to be something different, right? To, not to make America great again, but, you know, the equivalent. And anyway, Jimmy Carter, he didn't do anything different. And all the problems that he inherited got much, much worse under Jimmy Carter. Right? We had the, sta the stagflation. Everything got worse under Carter. And now the country is like, well, we tried that. That didn't work. And Carter uh, basically enabled the Republicans to elect Reagan, a rock of, not a Rockefeller Republican, but a Barry Goldwater Republican. So Jimmy Carter was the bridge between the Rockefeller and the Goldwater Republicans, where he enabled the Republican Party to pivot sharp to the right after that brief four years of you know, economic misery. That is what's going to happen to Trump, only with the opposite party. Trump got elected after eight years of Obama. Remember, Obama promised hope and change, and he didn't change anything. And people lost hope, which is why they voted for Trump. But he inherited problems from Bush, yet those problems got worse during those eight years. So now the country turned to something different, right? An outsider, a businessman, a guy who had no political experience. He wasn't even the, a governor. He was, he was in business his whole life. So he was more of an outsider even than Jimmy Carter. And so people put hope in Trump, who promised to make America great again, and did nothing to do that. He simply continued the failed policies that helped him get elected. In fact, he began to champion those policies. Right? A guy that was criticizing the Fed for 
being too easy is now criticizing the Fed for not being easy enough. Right? He has embraced everything he ran against, except the problem is the public and the voters associate Trump with less government and deregulation and, and tax cuts and you know all that. And so when the, the economy gets much worse under Trump, which it will, this recession that will start probably next year and that we will still be in uh, on Election Day 2020 is going to be worse than the Great Recession that we had uh, at the end of the Bush administration and the first year or beginning of the Obama administration. And just like Jimmy Carter, Donald Trump is going to be a bridge between the Clinton-Obama Democratic Party and the Bernie Sanders-Elizabeth Warren Democratic Party. We are going to go hard left to democratic socialism, just like we went hard right to Ronald Reagan. That's the similarity, except Jimmy Carter led to a positive development for the country. Donald Trump is going to lead to a very negative development for the country because moving to socialism is going to be a complete disaster. But this was the worst case political scenario that I had been fearing and warning about the entire time. And I think that is exactly what is going to happen. Now, obviously, too, the Trump administration is beginning to get nervous and they don't really know what to do. I mean, the only game plan they have right now is blame the Fed. And, you know, I mean, I guess that's better than accepting responsibility. But I don't know who else they're going to blame. I mean, it would have been better if they could have blamed Obama, but they can't do that anymore because they've already, you know, embraced the recovery and claimed credit for the boom. And so they can't really now say the problem uh, was from the Obama administration. And in fact, if you look at what happened over the weekend and talk about, you know, uh, plans backfiring, you know, first of all, there's an old saying, right? Never believe a rumor until it's been officially denied. Right? And all of a sudden, you had over the weekend, you had the Secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin, basically had been making phone calls to all the big banks, basically to reassure everybody that there's nothing to worry about, that the economy is great, and then telling everybody that there's no liquidity problems, or maybe he was said he was checking with the banks and making sure that there was no problem and everybody was saying it was great. I mean, the fact that they're doing that is going to cause a lot of alarm bells to go off. You know, in fact, if you're the head of a major bank and you get a call on a Sunday from the Secretary of the Treasury who's on vacation in Cabo and tries to reassure you there's nothing to worry about, what's the first thing you're going to do? Start worrying. I mean, God, this guy's calling me in the middle of his vacation. He must be scared shitless. What's going on? I mean, clearly this is backfiring uh, if you're out there. In fact, the Treasury Secretary called, an, I guess, an emergency meeting, right, impromptu meeting of the president's working group on financial markets, otherwise known as the Plunge Protection Team. These guys met today. They called the meeting over the weekend. What are they worried about? Oh, my God. I mean, if anything, rather than putting out a fire, he lit one or certainly stoked one that was smoldering. And, of course, that news came after the news, or I guess the the leaked stories, that Trump was considering firing Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, right? He was thinking about firing him. And of course, you know, he talks about firing him all the time, because as I said, he needs to blame uh, the Fed 
for the bear market. He needs to blame the Fed for the recession. Now, of course, the idea that the president would fire the chairman of the Federal Reserve, I mean, if he actually did that, the markets would really get killed. I mean, that would be the worst thing that you could do. The markets would tank if the Fed chairman was fired because it would show that the Federal Reserve is not really independent. Now, of course, only an idiot believes they are independent, but in theory, they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be above the fray. They're supposed to be able to make monetary policy without regard to the short-term effects on the economy or how it, you know, it fares with the political ambitions of, of the president. So if, you know, like Paul Volcker did, you have to jack up interest rates to save the dollar and fight inflation, even if it creates a really bad recession, well, then you got to do it, right? Presidents don't like recessions when they're in office. But if you have a Federal Reserve that's not beholden to the president and that is willing to put the economy into a recession, even if it means the incumbent president doesn't get reelected, well, that creates some confidence in the value of the dollar because we don't have the dollar's fate in the hands of bureaucrats or politicians who have to get elected. We can have supposedly smarter people who don't have to worry about being popular and can just do what's right. But if Trump just fired Powell and put some lackey in there uh, that was going to do his bidding, then whatever pretense we had about an independent central bank would have gone out the window. And of course, so the stock market would crash, the dollar would crash, gold would go ballistic. So that's not going to happen. But there's another reason that Trump would never fire Powell, even if he had the authority to do it. And in fact, later on yesterday, um, Secretary Mnuchin tweeted out, not Trump, but Mnuchin tweeted out, yes, as much as the president would like to be able to fire Powell because he doesn't like what he's doing, he knows that he can't do it. He knows he doesn't have the authority. And so don't worry, it's not going to happen. So, you know, they were trying to you know, put out that fire they hope before it really started uh, started to go. But the other political reason why Trump would never fire Powell is because Trump needs Powell to be at the Fed to be his scapegoat. Because again, we're going in recession no matter what the Fed does. This is going to be a bear market no matter what the Fed does. So Trump needs a scapegoat and it's got to be Powell. So as long as Powell is there, then Trump can blame him. If he got rid of Powell, they can't blame him anymore. If he put a new guy in and we still had a bear market, we still had a recession, then it's going to look worse for him. So the best thing that for Trump politically is to continue to bash Powell, to continue to say that you disagree with what the Fed is doing, but you know, not remove him because I can't do it. I mean, I wish I could, but unfortunately I can't. So we're stuck with him. Now, the problem is, you know, he appointed him. So he has to, you know, kind of figure out, look, you know, I, I kind of, I got bad advice from Mnuchin to appoint the guy, right? And then eventually he can make Mnuchin the fall guy too, because, you know, Mnuchin is the one that told him to, to hire uh, Powell. And so he took his advice and, you know, he made a mistake. Um, but he has to have somebody to blame. And and so he's, he's going to have to keep him there. But also, this is ultimately going to be bad for the the dollar and, and good for gold to have the president of the United States constantly bashing the head of the central bank and saying publicly how the guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's making mistakes. This is not going to be a good thing. You know, when Paul Volcker jacked interest rates up to 20 percent and there was a lot of criticism uh, of the Fed at that time. In fact, there were members of Congress that were very critical of the Fed. But the one person who was not critical was Ronald Reagan, which is another reason why Ronald Reagan or why um, 
Donald Trump has nothing in common with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was 100% in support of all the unpopular decisions that Paul Volcker was making. And in fact, had it not been for Ronald Reagan's steadfast support, it probably would have been difficult for Volcker to do what he did. He needed the support of the president. But Powell doesn't have the support of Trump. Because I think when Reagan was first elected, he really wanted to do what was good for the country. Ultimately, people talked him out of it. He got corrupted uh, by, the, by the establishment, by the power. Uh, he made these terrible deals with Tip O'Neill and the Democrats. And he was promised all sorts of government spending cuts that he never got. And so ultimately, you know, his terms, his tenure was a disappointment probably to Reagan himself, uh, but certainly to me, uh, who was very hopeful about Ronald Reagan when he was uh, was first uh, first elected, but became very disillusioned uh, by uh, the end of his first term, given the increase in the size of government and the size of the deficits. And remember, Reagan criticized the deficits under Jimmy Carter, right? He was going to balance the budget. Instead, the, the deficits got even bigger. But Trump has done has done nothing but bash Powell the entire time. So undercutting uh, the independence of the Fed and the the ability of the Fed to maintain uh, that 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 aura of, of of an independent central bank. And just imagine what's going to happen uh, after Trump leaves office and we have a socialist president and a socialist Congress and they have this huge socialist agenda that is going to cost a fortune. And the only way that the socialists that run the uh, government in 2020, the only way that they're going to be able to pay for their laundry list of socialist programs, which I've mentioned, universal basic income, forgiving all the student loans and making college free uh, for everybody, um, government guaranteed employment, $15 minimum wage, complete single-payer socialized health care. All the stuff's going to happen. It's all going to cost a fortune, and they're not going to get it by taxing the rich. Now, they're going to tax the rich. They're going to tax the shit out of the rich, right? If they haven't figured that out yet, marginal tax rates are going way up. You know, we've been talking about, you know, oh, this is the worst stock market since the Great Depression. Well, we might have the highest tax rates. Uh, since then as well. Taxes are going to go up on individuals. They're going to go up on corporations. Why? Well, for two reasons. One, because, you know, the government needs is going to need the money. And two, it's going to be easy to vilify the rich and the corporations as the ones who benefited from the tax cuts that caused the economic collapse. Right. Remember, because the narrative is going to be that Trump inherited a great economy uh, from Obama and blew it by cutting taxes on the rich. Right. I mean, Trump blew the opportunity to blame this on uh, on Obama by embracing the the the, uh, the bubble by pretending that the bubble was an economic boom just as it was peaking and now he owns the bust so he's already written this script all the Democrats have to do is follow it they're gonna follow it to the White House and then they're gonna follow it to this you know socialist agenda that never would have been possible without this right first you have to really screw everything up before you can the government can come rotting to the rescue with all this nonsense but so they're going to be able to make the rich pay their fair share and make up for all the damage they've done. Uh, so they're going to jack these taxes uh, way up. But of course, they're not going to produce much revenue. In fact, it's possible that jacking taxes through the roof on corporations and the rich may actually result in a decline in revenue going to the government. 
because there's going to be a lot less income left to tax. But these programs are going to cost a fortune. And where's the money going to come from? It's going to come from the Federal Reserve. It's going to have to. So they're going to have to get a Federal Reserve that is going to be on board with debt monetization like it's never been done before. And not just like, you know, uh, when the Fed pretended, like when Ben Bernanke said, oh, I'm not monetizing the debt. He didn't want to admit it. We're going to have to admit it because there's going to be no other way to explain. We're going to have three, four trillion dollar a year deficits, maybe five. Who the hell knows? And the Fed is going to have to buy up all those bonds. So we're going to have to have a Fed chairman that's going to cooperate completely. And now that you had you know, Donald Trump bashing the hell out of a Fed chairman, blaming a Fed chairman for a collapse, it might make it easier for the Democrats when they take control to also blame the Fed after the fact. Of course, they're going to blame Trump uh, during the election because that's going to sell better at the polls. But once they're in office, they can then also say, oh, well, by the way, it was also the Fed's fault. Uh, because we didn't have the right chairman in there. We need to have a chairman that understands, you know, how to cooperate and how to, you know, and they're going to put somebody in there uh, and and that's going to be it, right? The dollar is going to sink like a stone. We had this uh, two-year auction today. It was probably the biggest uh, two-year auction ever, you know, and that's going to continue to be the case. And it was a horrible auction. People don't want to buy these two-year treasuries. Now, of course, the one thing they don't want to buy more than the two-year is the five-year or the 10-year. Why is anybody going to want to buy this government debt? But as unappealing as government debt is today, imagine how much more unappealing it's going to be when you're talking about massive deficits as far as the eye can see, inflation running out of control, socialists uh, running the White House and Congress, all this big government programs. Nobody is going to want to finance this. Nobody's going to want to lend money to the United States government. So the lender of only resort is going to be the the Federal Reserve. Of course, the other uh, political problem for Trump is this government shutdown or partial government shutdown, whatever it is. But over the weekend, uh, the government shut down because the Congress, particularly the Senate now, is not sending the president a budget that includes the $5 billion of extra spending for the wall, right? Meanwhile, you know, talk about you know, Nero fiddling while Rome burns. I mean, arguing over whether or not we should borrow an additional $5 billion to build a wall that we don't really need and that will eventually be used to keep Americans in, not Mexicans out. We should be focusing on the imploding economy, the imploding stock market bubble, the major financial crisis, sovereign debt crisis, and currency crisis that we are rapidly approaching. Yet the only thing these guys want to fight about is this tiny amount of additional borrowing to build this wall. This just shows you how ridiculous, how clueless everybody is. But again, the government shuts down, and this is another factor that is going to be used to blame Trump for the recession, for the bear market, right? Because anything that Trump does is going to be used as part of the blame for all the bad things that are going to happen, right? So I don't think Trump is going to win many brownie points. I mean, maybe with a a core group of of his core base, uh, will think that this fight is worth it. I mean, a lot of the people that were with the president now are not going to be with the president in November 2020 because the president will no longer be able to pretend that he has made a difference. He will not be able to pretend that he has made America great. He will not be able to pretend that the economy is booming. None of the statistics will look rosy by then.
The markets will be much lower. Unemployment will be much higher. Inflation will be much higher. Misery will be much higher. Despair will be much higher. All the optimism will be gone. Right? So even some of the president's core supporters will abandon him, and they're not going to say, well, you know, he shut down the government for the wall. At least he did that. Right? No one's going to care about that. It's just going to be another thing that he can be blamed for, just more political baggage that he doesn't need. But again, on a broader, bigger picture, nobody gets this. You watch the financial coverage of what's going on right now. Not a word about this. I mean, yes, some people say, well, you know, maybe the Fed kept rates too low for so long, but they don't want to acknowledge what that actually did. They still think the economy is fine. They still don't recognize that it's never been fine, that the air is coming out of this bubble. And if we had a bubble economy and that bubble was popped, you are anything but fine. As bad as things were before the 2008 financial crisis, it's much worse now. None of the problems have been solved. These guys don't get that. They didn't understand the problems before the crisis, and they don't understand that they're bigger now. They didn't realize that the Fed caused the last crisis, and they don't realize that their policy since that crisis simply set us up for a much bigger one that is about to unfold. Now, it's not going to unfold tomorrow, right? It's going to play out over time. First, we have the bear market. Then we have the recession. Then we have the Fed capitulating and doing QE again and doing 0% interest rates. Then we have the dollar collapse. Then we have inflation skyrocketing. Then we have the sovereign debt crisis and the bond market imploding. All this stuff is going to play out. And then we have the real crash, right? The real crash, the subject of my most recent book, the real crash. That's what's coming. People don't get that. Not even They're not even close to getting that, right? It's not like, you know, are reporters calling me? No. I mean, I got one guy that called me a week ago or something. It's nothing, right? Nobody is calling me to get my take on the markets. Uh, none of the uh, financial shows that I used to be on are giving me a call, right? Because they still don't think I'm right. They still, they, they still are so far from connecting these dots. I mean, fortunately... Investors still have a chance because if they had figured it out, there'd be no more chance, right? Gold would be too high. The dollar would have already collapsed. So people still have an opportunity if they're going to be smart enough to take it, right, to get out of U.S. stocks. Okay, you know, Wall Street is going to say or the professionals are going to say, well, it's too late to sell now. The, you know, we're already in a bear market. We're down 20%. It's too late to sell. Hey, we can be down 50%. Right. It's got a long way to go. It's not too late to sell, especially if you do the right thing with the money you get when you sell. If you sell U.S. stocks and buy the right foreign stocks, if you sell dollars and get into foreign currencies, right? if you sell U.S. treasuries and buy the debt instruments of governments that are in sounder fiscal positions, they're going to have stronger currencies. If you sell your dollars and buy some gold, if you sell some U.S. stocks and buy some gold stocks, then, I mean, not only do you avoid further losses in the U.S., but you position yourself for, I think, are going to be spectacular gains, not just, you know, normal gains. I think the gains are going to be absurdly high. And it's because the markets are so incredibly mispriced, because so few people actually understand what's going on. You've got that opportunity. 
Just like, you know, if you bet the long shot at a horse race, but you know something and nobody else knows how great that horse is, and it's 50 to 1, but you know something that nobody else knows, and you could bet it because the odds are so big, you could take a small bet and make a lot of money. That's how I feel right now about the investment market. I think that there are uh, some investments that you can make that I believe are going to be very successful that the rest of the investing community doesn't believe it. They think it's a complete long shot. And so that's how it's priced. But if I'm right, the long shot pays off because in my mind, it's not a long shot. I can't say it's a sure thing because nothing in life is a sure thing. But as far as I'm concerned, what everybody else is betting on is a long shot. The idea that we're not going to have another financial crisis, that idea that we're not going to have a currency crisis and a sovereign debt crisis, that's the long shot. Everybody thinks that's a sure thing, and they're betting on that. And they, I believe they are dead wrong. And everything that's been happening uh, in the economy has been bearing that out as far as I'm concerned. What's happening now in the markets simply confirms everything that I'm saying. And the fact that there's still so much complacency just reassures me of how clueless everybody has been during the bubble and how oblivious they are now that the bubble has popped to understanding the dynamics and, and what this means going forward. Also, on my last podcast, I mentioned how Jim Cramer apologized uh, to Jeff Gunlock uh, for, you know, basically calling him out and telling me to know who he's talking about and that he should stick to bonds. And then, of course, uh, when, when, when Gunlock uh, tweeted out that, that he wouldn't be on CNBC anymore, of course, you know, uh, they got his mind right, you know, much the way uh, President Trump was hoping to get Powell's mind right and got him to do an about face and and basically, you know, say, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Gunlock was right. I mean, I don't know what I was talking about. I mean, the guy's a genius. In fact, I agree with him, you know. Well, I need to apologize to Jeff Gunlock myself because I didn't even realize that I had been mispronouncing his name uh, on my last couple of podcasts. I think I was saying Jeff Gundlock instead of Jeff Gunlock. And, you know, I don't know why I did that because, I mean, I've, I've heard the guy's name many, many times. And so I know the way it's pronounced. But for some reason, I started mispronouncing it. And it, you know, really reminds me of my father. And it shows you just how important genetics are. Because my brother and I used to make fun of my dad all the time because he mispronounced everybody's name. You know, and he would mispronounce it the same way every time. And no matter how many times we corrected him, he would, you know, still mispronounce it that way. And now I'm doing the same thing. And it's, you know, it's like, I you know, becoming my father. And, you know, one of the things that I always remember about my dad, um, one funny thing was that he would, you know, come into the room and I'd be in the room and he'd come in there and he'd be like, Peter, I've been looking all over the house. I, I can't find my glasses. I mean, I've looked everywhere. Uh, could, you know, have you seen my glasses? And then I would say, dad, they're on your head. Right. Because, you know, my father, you know, was uh, farsighted as he got older. He, you know, he could see distances, but he needed his glasses for reading. But of course, so he'd be reading something. And when we stopped reading it, he'd take his glasses and he'd, he'd, he'd push them up to the top of his head. And then when he wanted to read something, you know, he forgot that they were up there. He couldn't feel them. He'd look all over the house uh, for his glasses. I always just get a kick out of him. I would laugh when he'd come into the room, the glasses on his head, like, you know, where the hell are they? And, I'm, you know, they're right on your head. Well, I do the same thing now. Same thing, except, you know, I am not uh, farsighted. I'm nearsighted. So what happens is I wear my glasses, but then um, if I want to read something, I generally take, you know, I, I push them up to get them off my face. I used to be able to read very well 
through my distance glasses. But then I couldn't. I have some pairs, you know, where they're cut and they're like a bifocal. But a lot of times I, you know, I just take my glasses off when I want to read, you know, and then they're on the top of my head. And then I, I make the same mistake. I look around for a long time trying to find my glasses before I realize that they're on the top of my head. And I always, I always think of my dad whenever that happens. But it, you know, it shows you uh, how how uh, important genetics are, you know, that you just start, you know, doing things and then you realize that, you know, you know, why am I doing that? You know, I'm doing that because my dad did it. But at least, you know, I got a lot of good things for my father. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of what I know, a lot of what I understand about economics, about the Constitution was all because of of uh, of my father. Hopefully by now, a lot of you have read, uh, you know, some of my dad's books. I mean, the, the biggest con uh, how the government is fleecing you. I mean, that's a great one if you can find a copy of it. Uh, we're all out of copies. We've been out for a long time. I sold a few until I ran out. Uh, but, I mean, you could probably get them on, you know, eBay or Amazon or something like that. We still have a few copies, uh, not many left, though, of uh, The Kingdom of Malts. I ran out of uh, How an Economy Grows and Why It Doesn't, which was the basis for the book that I wrote with my brother, uh, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. I, I you know, I don't know if we have any of those left that I autographed. I mean, probably not, because uh, I never I mentioned it. We didn't have that many uh, available. Certainly, people could have bought them for Christmas and New Year's. But I mean, what people really should be doing, though, and a lot of my dad's stuff. I mean, he still has a website, uh, PayNoIncomeTax.com. You know, I've never, you know, of course, advocated that anybody uh, follow my father's advice with respect to fighting the government and not paying income taxes. I mean, my father's. Uh, uh, rationale or reasoning for not paying taxes was based on his understanding of the Constitution and the Internal Revenue Code, and he was basically fighting with the government. And I don't advocate fighting with the government. I advocate, you know, doing what the government tells you because I recognize how powerful they are, and that we are no longer a nation of laws, uh, but a nation of men. And you've got to do what the men who are in charge uh, tell you to do. And you know, so I'm following their rules. I'm not paying income taxes either. Uh, but I'm doing it uh, within the rules that the powers that be have established for me. I have moved to Puerto Rico. <laughs> so rather than following my dad's advice, if you don't want to pay income taxes, follow me and move to Puerto Rico. But you can certainly read some of my dad's books on the subject to understand the the, the constitution or the unconstitutional aspects of our current tax system. And there's a lot of that stuff too. And you can hear a lot of my dad's old, he did it. Well, it wasn't called a podcast at the time. He did a, a weekly, a one hour radio show on shortwave. And you can hear all those episodes. They're all archived on his website, paynoincometax.com. But um, I would strongly hope that the people who are listening to this podcast, and as I'm you know, looking at the numbers, it seems like more and more people are starting to listen and probably the, uh, the decline of the U.S. stock market is sparking a bit of an interest in my podcast. I mean, still nothing compared to where I think it should be or it will be with time as more and more of my forecasts pan out. In fact, ultimately, I expect every one of my economic forecasts to come true. In fact, many, many more have come true than people like to give me credit for. Uh, they kind of focus on the big picture stuff uh, and, and miss a lot of the smaller things that have already happened. Uh, but everything is falling into place. Those are just pieces of a bigger puzzle. And the ones that are the headline predictions, they will come true too. And the people who have been 
you know, closely following what I've been saying, get that. It's just the people who really haven't taken the time and who only, you know, look at the, you know, the, the big picture, uh, you know, big headline predictions are missing how many smaller pieces of the puzzle are already coming into place that will make those uh, uh, bigger picture pieces uh, come true as well. But, you know, try to talk to your friends, get more people listening to the podcast, uh, either on, you know, Shift Radio, wherever they listen to podcasts, on my YouTube channel. Because, again, the coverage that we're getting today uh, about uh, the markets and the economy is completely wrong. Nobody is saying the truth, and probably nobody that is going to tell the truth is going to get on the air. I mean, Jeff Gunlock is about as close as you're going to get, probably on CNBC, to anybody telling the truth. And I think even he sugarcoats it, right? I mean, it's a lot worse than even he's going to admit. Nobody like me at this point is going to be allowed on. Because, again, I think the financial media is part of the propaganda machine to try to, you know, whitewash this and pretend that everything is good. So if you want to understand what's really going on in the economy, what's really going on in the markets, people are going to have to get that type of information from sources like my podcast. Now, clearly, I'm not the only source, but, you know, I'm a source and I think I'm a good source. And I think what's really good about my podcasts is I make it easy for people to understand what could be complicated issues. I mean, I think that's why Jeff Gunlock chose to use one of my analogies when he was asked to explain something, because he recognizes that, hey, you know, an analogy like that is an easy way to get people to understand something, something that really shouldn't be complicated, but which is because you have so much nonsense out there and you got to cut through it. And so I think I have a, a good way of communicating these concepts and these ideas to people, and that's what people need. And I know that it's not going to be enough. I mean, even if a million people started listening to my podcast every day, that's still not enough to make a dent uh, in you know the overall American electorate, right? Nothing that I am going to say is going to change the path that we are on, right? This is going to happen. Right. The Titanic is going to sink. Right. It's just a mathematical conclusion, a certainty. But that doesn't mean that everybody has to drown. That doesn't mean that some people can't get in a lifeboat. And I think the more people that I can educate and the more people that I can get into that lifeboat, the better. But also, I want people to understand that it is not the free market. It is not a capitalism that's failed. It is socialism. It is central banking. Right? It is the court system that failed us by not enforcing our constitution. Our constitution would have saved us from this disaster if the government had only followed it, if the Supreme Court and other courts had only forced the government to abide by the law. So I want people to understand these truths and these concepts, not because I think it's actually going to make a difference in 2020, I'm more hopeful that it'll make a difference in 2024. That's going to be our last shot because, you know, what's going to happen in 2020, we're going to have one shot maybe to get out of that mess because once we fall deep into socialism, it's going to take a violent revolution. I mean, if we don't get rid of it quick, right, it's going to take a, it's going to take a violent revolution. And I don't know if we've got that in us, certainly not in our lifetimes. You see how difficult it is to get rid of Obamacare. Right. Maybe the Republicans would have been able to get rid of Obamacare had Obama had one term. 
But by the end of the second term, it was done. Now even the Republicans are afraid to take away the something for nothing. Once these programs have been allowed to fester, you can't get rid of them. So we're going to get all this socialist legislation. It's all going to be passed in 2021. And if we can't get rid of it by 2024, we'll never get rid of it. And that means, you know, the, the best hope for young Americans is going to be emigration. You know, it's going to be unfortunate, but it's going to be true. But hopefully, if we can educate enough people to understand these concepts, that maybe we'll have a chance of taking back the country in 2024. So in the meantime, and I hate to just end on a pessimistic note, but I know tomorrow uh, is Christmas. And so let me wish a Merry Christmas uh, to everybody. And um, no need to wish a Happy New Year just yet, because I will be doing more podcasts, I'm sure, uh, between now and the end of the year, as we still have four trading days left uh, in 2018. And I'm sure they're going to be very interesting, to say the least. Thank you.